0: Tonight, I hope to be a little more interactive. Uh, we're going to be testing you a little bit on your knowledge of the gospel. This morning in Jude, we looked at just a simple word that uh, described our salvation in the book of Jude. And that simple word was common. And again, just a reminder, and for those of you who might not have been here this morning, common is not mean ordinary. It does not mean... Uh, base, uh, anything negative, it is about something that is shared by all believers and can be shared with any man, that it is universal, That is, it is open to all, it is common. And so a common area uh, in uh, a workplace or something is where everyone is welcome to gather. It's not just a low place, it is a place that's available to all. And so, when Jude describes our salvation as common, we have a common salvation. It is available to all, and that all who receive it receive the same salvation. And so, I don't have a different one than you. You don't have a lesser one. No group of people have an inside track on some better, more spiritual life that's not available to you if you don't have their secret little mysteries or advantages. And those advantages in Scripture have varied. They, we talked about those this morning. Let's just see if you're paying attention. What are some of the advantages people touted saying, if you have this, then you can really get saved. Then you can have a really close walk with God. What kind of things? Out of Scripture. The law. Keep the law. If you keep the law, that's the inside track to God. God can't let you down then. If you keep the law, then you can be saved. And it's that the salvation of God is exclusive to those who keep Jewish law. And that's called Judaizing. And uh, we do not hold that. And by the way, there's, that's portrayed, I didn't talk about it very much this morning, in our modern legalization. That you have to look like, sound like, we have this list of rules. Once you keep those, now we can start talking about you becoming a Christian. Well, it doesn't work that way. Because right? it's not going to work. It's not going to happen that way. It's just not how God functions. Then it becomes your merit. It's something you earn. Hey, thank you. I don't like competition. So that's how God wants you to receive him. Him alone, none of your work, just him. That's how I want you to receive him. And as soon as you start saying, I'm going to keep the law first to qualify myself to be saved, Now you're receiving the glory. All right, what else? Specific gifts, gifts, yeah. If you don't speak in tongues or if you don't have this certain uh, ability of prophecy or something like that, uh, you are a second-class Christian. And if you haven't, uh, uh, I remember one, I was teaching a, a, we had a youth function and one of the well, I, I, I've, I'm really con- probably not a believer. I was like, well, why, aren't, why don't you think you're a Christian? He's like, well, I've never been drunk. I was like, what are you talking about? Well, you have to be, get drunk with the Holy Spirit. I was like, well, now I know exactly what they're being taught. There is a scripture that says, do not be drunk with wine wherein is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So what did they do in that verse? They took the word filled and replaced it with drunk, and it says, don't be drunk with wine. That's a negative. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so they assume that filled must be equal to drunk. And so you had to have this weird feeling of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that has been more than just a gift of tongues. In fact, it seems like a lot of the charismatic movement try to outdo each other. And there's always a uh, annual new thing that uh, that's the evidence you really have the Spirit. Do you remember the Laughing Revival? Have you heard of the Laughing Revival? And uh, that you... That if you're really filled the Holy Spirit, you're going to laugh uncontrollably, and you can't can stop yourself. That was called the Laughing Revival. Started up in Canada, and it swept down through the United States. And uh, that's if you if you don't laugh under control, you don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, that's nowhere in the Bible. I don't find anywhere in Scripture that laughing is a gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, maybe it is, but. <laughs> Uh, not uncontrollable because as soon as you can't control yourself, is the Holy Spirit involved? Can't be. Because if you can't control yourself, one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. So as soon as you can't control yourself, you can't say that's the Holy Spirit, because one of the evidences of the Holy Spirit's in your life is you have self-control. You can't control it. So they had the laughing revival. Of course, Benny Hinn and all of his activity where you just faint dead away if he touches you, that's, oh, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, and so I... Uh, and it's all about experience and feelings and uh, that that's this other level of Christianity. There is no other level of Christianity to be attained to in those magical kind of ways. If you want to grow in Christ, we saw that in Ephesians. How do we do that? We have prophets, teachers, uh, pastors, and we minister one to another till we grow in unity and knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ and in faith. So by ministering together, we grow and we mature by exercising our gifts for each other. And there's no special gift that makes you special. The gifts are there that are unique, but they are not special. They are there by the Holy Spirit's giving to all men so that we can minister to each other, not for your own interests. Okay, so that was one. What's another one from this morning? Being bad, religious activity. Um, well you gotta have this and so we wanna deal with the original sin, so we're gonna have infant baptism. Hey, I don't like competition. She's used to talking to me, so that's I should I should discourage that, shouldn't I? Um, I try to get her to talk to me all day and then I get to church and she's trying to talk to me and I won't let her. So baptism. Any religious ritual. Well you have to get this done in order to have you gotta have these rites. You have to have last you have to have, you know, the the seven uh, sacraments of the church, things like that. No. And we're going to talk about the simplicity of the gospel tonight. Uh, what else? Gnosticism, secret information. And the Gnostics said, if you don't have our secret knowledge, you don't really have Christ. You just have the appearance of having Christ. But if you really want the deep, you got to come into the secret stuff. And we have that going on all over the place Um, and it's wrong, it's wrong, that there is no secret word, and Daniel and I were talking about there's no secret um, having the right name of, you know, oh, you said Jesus instead of Yeshua, and and we use Yeshua because that's the Hebrew, and it's like, well, (sighs) so you think only the Hebrew people with the secret pronunciation can go to heaven, or that you have a better salvation than the people who believe in the name of Jesus, the Greek name instead of the Hebrew? Pronunciation, you know, what about Jesus? Is the Spanish pronunciation also bad? I mean, are, where does it end? And so we recognize that these are just foolishness, that people want to stroke their own egos, saying, "I have this secret knowledge," and and that's the foundation of a lot of cults: is secret knowledge, including Freemasonry, including which Mormonism, Freemasonry; those are just reinvented of the other. So. All Joseph Smith did was took Freemasonry doctrine, reinvented it, put his name on it with some golden tablets and Shazam, you have a uh, new church. But it's really just reworked Freemasonry. And so when you look at all of these things, uh, and there's a lot of it prevalent, um, and sometimes it's combinations of things, Judaizers and secret Gnostics. um, There is no secret it's all been revealed. What you need to know to, be, to get right with God has been revealed, shown, exposed, given to us by God. There are, there's no secret. There is no um, magic formula. Uh, none of that. It's very plain and very obvious as we're going to see tonight. Okay, one other one. Your heritage, your lineage. You cannot inherit your faith from your parents. Uh, You cannot get it from them. You must choose yourself. We talked about we can expose our children to the truth. We can have them in church. They can hear it. They can know it. They can memorize it. And they could still reject it. That just because they have a knowledge about God does not equal a relationship with God. God. Now, do they have advantages because they have that? Yes, they have opportunity that maybe others don't. But sometimes when you have that much exposure to something and you don't accept it, it's worse. An example we used this morning was the Pharisees. They had it all. And that doesn't mean the Pharisees couldn't be saved because Paul got saved. But what he had to do? He had to be humbled. God had to slap him with blindness, throw him off a donkey and appear to him to get his attention. Uh, because he was so arrogant in his own Pharisaism, And uh, so he was the enemy of Christ. And so when we look at that, uh, if you're counting on your lineage because your parents, and I, I have that, it's amazing how many people have grandparents and great-grandparents who are pastors. I go out and share Christ with people and, and I talk, try to talk to them about the relationship with God. I say, oh, you know, my grandfather was a pastor. I was like, so? That just makes your condition more sad. It doesn't make it better that you had some access. And usually I I play along and say, okay, what kind of pastor? What kind of church? Oh, and I was like, well, why aren't you in church? Why don't you know God then? Well, what are they doing? They're banking on the fact that, well, I have a grandfather. I have a father. I have whatever. That's a pastor. And uh, somehow that gets me an in with God. No, it doesn't work that way. You do not gain access to God by lineage. So, um, I'm sorry, whatever you were born did not help you and it doesn't hurt you from coming to the gospel. It does not make you privileged. It does not make you exclusive. You have to come to Christ like everybody else. You have to humble yourself. And you are blessed because you get to hear the gospel. That doesn't mean equal that you are going to be saved. We prayed for our children that they might receive Christ because we realize they have to make that decision themselves. I can't do it for them. I can't. You can't. Parents can't. Uh, we, can, we can talk them into being baptized, but that's not the same. Remember, baptism doesn't cut it. That's not a prereq to being saved. And so I've really pushed off some of your kids off baptism because I really want them to be older, and want them to know because I baptize a lot of children that are nowhere to be found and are disinterested in Christ, because we're going at it too young. They don't really understand and are not. Their heart isn't tested yet in their faith. And so, rather than being baptism being a prerequisite to faith, faith is a prerequisite to baptism. Okay, and so your lineage isn't going to give it to you. I know you parents want desperately for your children to receive Christ but sometimes that is a problem because then you lead them in a prayer that they didn't have from their heart. They didn't really experience repentance and they are inoculated. It's like a vaccine. They're vaccinated against the gospel because, oh, I prayed this prayer with my mommy when I was whatever age and I got baptized when I was seven and so I must have it all right. Well, you don't. Not if you didn't believe not if you haven't trusted in him, not if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're not a disciple of Christ, then you aren't his. I don't care what religious activity you've done. Yes? You know, I think, you know, with the Calvinism, I think I remember reading that if you were elect, then your children were elect. Correct. So there's something that the Calvinists if you were, then your the kids were. If you're elect, the likelihood of your children being elect is pretty much 100%. And that's why they baptize them as babies. They don't baptize them to remove original sin. They baptize them to, to identify them as elect. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Reformed churches do not baptize to get rid of original yeah. sin. Zero. Yes, they do. Yeah, most of your Reformed churches do. Your, your, um, your Presbyterian, all those, yes. That's all Reformed churches, yeah. All Calvinists. I don't know that they do, but most of them do do not do pedo baptism. No, but a lot of your all of all of those churches come out of the Reformation, led by Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, all practiced infant baptism. All of them did. So um, the adult believers believers baptism was really a Baptist, Anabaptist hallmark. It really wasn't carried by anyone else. So, we have all of these things that try to give us the idea that salvation isn't common, that it's only for the exclusive. And you have to be one of the exclusive, and that's not there. I think one of the things that adds to that is that we have not kept salvation simple. And by that, I don't mean that it's uh, a one step. It is a lifelong process. But what I'm saying is that we have added all this religious activity around the act of baptism, act of salvation, even to the point of requiring, here's a printed out sinner's prayer. How many of you have read the sinner, the sinner's prayer? You know, and some churches have them in their hymn book. Here's the sinner's prayer. Uh, well, it's no different than our fathers and Hail Mary's at that point. You can quote off the sinner's prayer. I find nowhere in God's word where it says, What must I do to be saved? Pray. I don't find that. What does it say? What does Peter or what does Paul tell the Philippian jailer? What must I do to be saved? Believe. Does it does it is so we have inserted all these things and and uh, this is something that we need to be careful with, because we have a common salvation. It is, it is simple, that is it, is, it is an easy way. It is difficult only because we're of our arrogance, of our pride, because we don't want to humble ourselves. But it doesn't involve any elaborate process to come to Christ, So you don't have to crawl on your knees up to Chimayo this week. Um, This is the week they do that, right? Um, Or is that today? Was that today for Palm Sunday? Yesterday? Today? This Good Friday? Good Friday will be when they crawl up there. Um, You don't have to do anything elaborate. You don't have to do any of this religious activity. Here's what you need to do. You need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a simple start. And that's why it's common. And then we all have the same destination and the same path that is the path of Christ's righteousness that we walk in. It's the same spirit that leads us. And so when we talk about the commonality of our salvation. We can't lose track of the fact that common means accessible. It is accessible to all people and it is therefore simple. Because let's just face it, not while we all have the same opportunity or access, or uh, we, we could all be saved, the fact is, is that we all have different capacities. All right? So, some of you are stronger than others. Some of you are healthier than others. Some of you are smarter than others. Some of you more talented than others. Some of you, you know, we, we have different capacities amongst us. And. The problem with the Gnostics is, well, how could a simpleton person receive Christ? How could a child, how could, a, how could an untrained person? Well, you couldn't, because you had to have the secret knowledge. And when we look at it, what, how does Christ engage people? He says, come follow me. Look at it through, through his whole ministry, how he approaches people about their faith. He says, well, come follow me. He walks up to Matthew, a tax collector. This is a person completely untrained in religious concepts, really. He comes up and says, "Um, come follow me. What did he say to Abraham to determine whether Abraham would become his follower? Pack up and move. Basically, come follow me. He didn't tell him where to move to. He just says, pack up and start moving. Come follow me. Come follow me. That's a pretty simple... Declaration, come follow me. And we can break it down into all of its intricate little pieces, and we do that as we mature, but fundamentally we are just coming to people say, follow Christ. What does that mean? Do I have to pray a prayer? Well, prayer is going to become a part of you because you're going to have a relationship with Him, but essentially you need to come and follow Him. You need to come away from where you were to where God wants you. That's repentance. Come is repentance. You're going. Turn around and come. Do you understand that? So he's looking at people, you're all, all men are going from God. They want to walk away from him. And Christ comes on the scene and says, come. And so we are approaching people who want to get away from God, and we are inviting them to God. They're afraid of him. They're guilty before him. He is their judge. They don't want to acknowledge he exists at all. Whatever it is, they don't want God. And we come in and says, well, God wants you. You can come. So you're going to have to change directions in your life. Instead of going the other way, you're going to have to turn around and come toward God. Come. And then follow me. So what does it mean to follow someone? Well, you're going to do as they do. And I watch, even Andrea, when she walks around here and follows my wife before church and they do their walking, she walks just like my wife. My wife starts doing this. She starts doing this. And you just emulate the person you're following, it's that simple. You emulate them. So who are we emulating? Not me. Come follow. Jesus said, come follow me. What do we say? Come. Turn around. Come the other direction. That's repentance. Stop being worried about your sin and and interest in that. Turn to Christ and follow him. Follow Jesus. Emulate him. Live in a way that pleases him. Like him. Because he's your example. He's the one you want to become like. So you start studying Jesus. And how do you study Jesus? You do that through his word. And you start learning what does the Bible say I should be doing as a Christian. And that's what so much of of what we confuse with the gospel is really about discipleship. Follow him. Well, that's something you're going to learn. And I'm still learning about how do I follow Jesus. Because I'm trying to be a better follower of Jesus week by week day by day. How do I follow him better? I want to follow him in truth. I want to follow him in the spirit. And so that takes some effort to follow Jesus. you got to be engaged in that process. But we confuse that with the decision to follow Jesus. So salvation is the decision to stop going where I'm going and turn around and come to God. Which is on his invitation, he calls you We are called to him. Turn around, come toward me, and follow Christ. Emulate him. And that is your... your, So when we go to the... That's your Christian walk. And so we go to Matthew. That's the big commission passage. What does it say? Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them. So we're making followers. A disciple is just a word for followers of Jesus Christ. That's what our purpose is. That's what the gospel is. It's a very simple thing. Come follow Jesus. But we need to understand, we understand from our perspective that what we're asking them to do is radically change their life. Because they're going away from Jesus. They don't want him in their life. They don't want him interfering with their own will, with their sin, and until they're miserable and tired of sin and sorrowful for it, they won't do that. You're inviting them, come, follow Jesus. Very simple. Um, a child can understand that, can they not? Um, and we explain that to them. Especially, I, I love it when the oldest child always gets blamed for the younger children's behavior. Why? Because the younger children do exactly what they see their older sibling do. They follow them. And we sit down with the older kid and said, you see, they're doing that because you're doing that. We never sit down ourselves and say, my kids are doing exactly what I did. <laughs> they followed me, oh no. But your children are following you, even if they say they aren't and hate say they hate you and don't want to be anything like you. It's amazing, the, the children that say that the loudest become most like their parents, I've found. You know, I've had parents sit here and say, I don't want my kids to do what I did. And the kid says, I'm not going to be like my parents. And in the midst of all that, they are exactly like their parents at their age, making the same mistakes, making having the same sin in their life, the same rebellion. You want to be radical? Follow Christ. You want to lead your children to Christ? You need to follow him with your life. And their kids will watch you follow him, and it will give them a much... More positive perspective on what it means to follow Christ than for you to say for them to follow Him while you're not. And so come is repentance, follow me is discipleship. Simple message. When we complicate it with all of these other things, we make it exclusive. Everyone can figure out, come follow me. Everyone can figure, I gotta stop going away from God and go towards Him. I need to be, I need to accept. What he has to offer—it's a free gift. I have never had to explain to a child a gift. If I just wrap it up and offer it to him, here's a present. They go. They don't say, do, "What do I have to do to get this, to take this?" Have you ever had a child ask you? Maybe some of you uh, your kids do ask you those questions. My kids never asked me, "What do I have to do to open this?" Just open it. It's yours if you have it. Did you ever have to explain to your child to this is a? <laughs> Well, we don't. We're we're offering the gift of God. Why complicate it to the point that they aren't willing to receive it, or think that they have to perform some religious activity to get there? No. Come follow me. Go follow. Come follow Christ. Stop going the direction of your life because it's going to lead to misery and death and eternal fire. Come follow Christ. There's joy. There's love. There's an inheritance. There's there's all this wonderful stuff, but you have to follow Christ. Come is repentance, follows discipleship. Make disciples, teach them to observe what Christ has commanded us, and His commandments are not burdensome at all. They're light. His yoke is easy, Jesus says. So we come to this, and over and over again, we see the development of a very simple message, and we complicate it with even things that we mean well with. Well, how do I receive Christ? you have to pray this prayer. No. How do you receive Christ? You must believe. You trust in him. You come follow him. That's the the feat of trust. The feat of trust is I'm going to come follow you. If you don't trust someone, you don't follow. Okay, I don't... You will never get me to jump on the presidential bandwagon. I don't care who the president is because I don't trust any of them. I didn't trust Obama. I didn't trust, who was before him? Bush, Jr. I didn't trust Clinton, and I don't trust Trump. I'm sorry, I don't trust these men. Yeah, some of them say they're Christians, but I look at some of what they're doing, and I'm like, I'm not going to emulate that. I don't want to follow that because I don't trust them. When Paul comes to people that he's ministered to for years and years and years, he says, follow my example. I think you talked about that in Sunday school this morning, right? Didn't you talk about, I hear that over the baby crying. Um, Follow my example. Uh, Well, that's a pretty, that's a huge responsibility to invite people to follow your example. Follow me as I follow Christ. Well, that implies that you're going to have to trust this person. And Paul says, you know, I've ministered long enough that you should know me. And having known me, you should trust that I'm following after Christ with all my heart. And so it's okay for you to follow me. You can follow me because I'm following Christ. And you know that. So you have some basis of trust. So when we say, come follow Christ, we are inviting them into a trust relationship with God. A simple message. Let's not complicate it by, did I pray the right words? And I used to struggle with that. I, I used to try to help people because I remember leading some folks to Christ, and they're like, um, and and because I was trained this way, I grew up with this instruction: you tell them to pray this prayer. And here's a person who's never had a relationship with God, and maybe has never been to church. They go, well, I want you to pray. Well, what is that? They've never prayed. Well, you're going to talk to God and tell them, well, what am I supposed to say? First question they always ask me, what am I supposed to say? Well, just tell them what's on your heart. And it's like, no, I've just complicated the gospel. Now, instead of focusing on coming and following Christ, they're worried about what they're supposed to pray. No. I need to tell them, do you Trusting in God. You want to come follow him. Yes. Okay. Let's do it. Now I can teach you how to pray. I can teach you about following him and what it, what it means to emulate him. But the question the, the, the challenge is to make coming to Christ what it is. It is a decision to accept a gift from God. And I don't know that prayer is necessary. I can't find it. It is the result. You are going to want to pray. You're going to have a talk with God. But you read through scripture and they didn't say, pray. It says, I'm praying for you. And I want Christians to pray for me. But you don't receive Christ by praying a prayer. That's actually kind of a Catholic concept. Pray this prayer of confession. No, we confess our sins to God. That's as a believer. But in terms of coming to Christ, It's a decision of the will. I'm going to believe. And uh, when you go to Acts and we list those out, what happens? Come on. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Let's see this very start. Let's just do a little quick survey here. You haven't opened your Bibles yet, have you? Acts chapter 2. Peter gets done preaching at Pentecost and he uh, gets interrupted. He's in the middle of his sermon. uh, Verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's godly sorrow. Said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Men and brethren, what shall we do? We've crucified the Christ. What shall we do? Well, I have this prayer for you to pray. Does it say that? It says believe. Peter says, repent, and let everyone you be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, they were a Jewish group, and they knew what that meant. Basically, you're going to have to become a follower of Jesus Christ, because to be baptized back then meant you were someone's disciple. That's why John was baptizing. They were disciples of John. So they knew what baptism was. It was about being a disciple. So they were saying two things. Repent. And become a disciple the evidence of that is baptism um, for the promise to you your children as uh, means, as Lord our God will call which is everyone and then verse 40 with any other words he testified exhorted saying be saved from this perverse generation and so those who gladly received his word again we don't find any prayer do we did they pray to accept Christ There's no religious activity to accept Christ. It is a decision of the heart. I want to come to him and follow him. So, thousands were added to their number um, and even baptized. And then we don't really get down to a lot of praying until the last thing in verse 42. gives a list of church life after you get saved. On that list, last on the list is prayers. Daily they met together. And one of the things they did was pray. Okay, let's keep going. Let's just see some other people. Oh, who do I want to go to next? This is all kind of impromptu. Let's go to, um, where is our favorite guy? No, I'm still an X. I'm sorry. Ethiopian, verse chapter 8, is one of my favorite guys, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. He's reading the Bible, can't figure it out. Sound familiar? I read the Bible, I can't figure it out. He says, I need someone to guide me, and Philip shows up, says, well, God sent me here, I'll guide you, and so they have a conversation about what he's reading out of the book of Isaiah. And Uh, verse 35 says, Then Philip opened his mouth and and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down to the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. and Both Philip and eunuch went down to the water and he baptized him. Did you see the sinner's prayer in there? Did you see anything between that? No, it was about do you want to become a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes, I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Well, because he was a Ethiopian, he already knew what baptism meant because that's how I became a Jewish person, is you had to be baptized in living water. And so you become a follower of Judaism. And so he's going to become a follower of Christ. And so he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And next time I get a chance to lead someone to the Lord, Lord willing, I'm going to tell them, and they're going to say, What do I do? I said, I'm going to ask him this question. What do you believe with all your heart? <laughs> just, you believe Jesus Christ? Yes. And that's what I do before baptism, right? I do that little interview before I baptize someone. What do I ask him? You believe in Jesus Christ? You want to follow him with your life? I'm just asking him, do you want to come and follow him? Yes. Well, okay, let's baptize you because that's all it's required. That's what baptism is saying. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be his disciple. Again, the prayers came afterwards. Saul of Tarsus, next chapter, chapter 9. What did God tell him to do? (laughs) That's the question he asked him. Why are you kicking against the goads? And look at verse 6. Lord, what do you want me to do? And he says, get up, go to the city, and I'll have somebody tell you. See, you're not special. You're going to have to come to me the same way everyone else comes to me, and that's by a Christian showing you how to become a Christian, which is having you declare Christ to them. So Saul gets up from the ground. He's blind. He entered Damascus. Comes across, finally comes across Ananias that God had prepared beforehand. And uh, we've Come to verse 17. And Ananias went his way, entered the house, laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me, that you may be filled, have your sight, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. He immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight once, and he arose and was baptized, and when he received food and was strengthened, The Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So God just says, um, all right, obey me. Get up, go to Damascus, they'll tell you what to do. Did he do anything? He just did what God said. Very simple. Go to Damascus. I'll send a guy. He sends Ananias. I says, um, you met Jesus on the way here? Yep. Well, in his name, we'll let you see. Again, we can just go through these and through these. Cornelius. You don't see a prayer there. You don't see any. It is a simple message. Do you believe? Do you want to follow Jesus Christ? Do you want to come follow him? And we talked about the, the Philippian jailer. Cornelius is in chapter 10. Um, Philippian jailer is, of course, after what chapter 15 so, or 16. So we have all of these examples, and it just simply says they believed. We didn't complicate it. They believed. They, they, they decided to go follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to come to God and follow Christ. Now following Christ is a great discovery. And that entails being taught. It entails prayer. It entails your scripture reading. It entails living. It entails going out and sharing Christ with others. Following Christ entails all of those things. But coming to Christ entails none of those things. None of those things are required to come to Christ. We expect Christians to pray. And all of you, every one of you has equal access to God. Do you realize that? That's your common salvation. So my prayers aren't more effectual than yours because I'm closer to God. What does affect your prayers is your life. If you choose to live in sin, that's going to hinder your prayers. If you live in righteousness, God's going to listen to your prayers. Maybe that's why God listens to the prayers of children more than adults, because we're harboring too much sin in our life. I don't know. But uh, we have all of this entailed in following Christ, but coming to Christ, that initial decision, is simple. It's common. And now we have this equal salvation. So just as coming to Christ was simple, that's what made it available to everybody. Anyone can understand that. Anyone I mean that, can understand that. Come follow me. Even even some mentally handicapped people I've encountered can understand that. Come follow me. Come follow Christ. And I see it. I see, I've had that experience in, in, in my ministry and, and going all the way back to a child, I remember one of the formative things in my life was being confronted with some of those uh, they were young adults, really, but they were from the Baptist Children's Home. No, what? No, Shepherds. Sorry, Shepherds. And they came to our church, did a presentation, had two of their young adults are from Shepherds. And they stood up there and, yes, mentally handicapped. Yes, quoting scripture like nothing. And I was one of those kids that memorized a lot of scripture. And, boy, I was like, that's great, you know. And I remember asking my mom, I want to go talk to them. Well, they had already left the service. They're at their motel room. And my mom got me up and took me to their motel room so I could talk to those two guys with their coordinator that had come to, to preach that night. It was a formative part of my life to recognize this is the gospel. It's a simple thing. These people didn't have to understand all the theological finest points. They couldn't. They weren't capable of it. Mentally, they weren't capable of, but they could love God. They could come to him and follow him. That's what God says. Come follow me. Come follow me. So they were memorizing scripture. They were following after Christ. It's a simple message, and therefore it is not exclusive. It is common. It is available to everyone. And the salvation we received is the exact same salvation for everyone. They received the same Holy Spirit that I would receive. Were their capacities mentally or physically different? Yes. But their salvation was no different. Their inheritance will be no different. The extent of the spirit in their life is no different. We have a common salvation. And it's imperative that we recognize the pure simplicity of that declaration. That these people that are false teachers that come in, they always complicate it. It is complicated to think, well, am I the elect or not? And who's the elect? And how do we figure out who's the elect? And, and how does that work? What a complicated mess. Calvinism introduced an enormous complicated mess of the, to, to the gospel. And so we have to ask why and how does God... It's horrible. It's a simple message. Anyone may come and follow him. Anyone. Who does he call? Everyone. And he waits for the response. And those are the response he has chosen to give you some spectacular salvation. The same salvation I've received, you can receive. Simple message, simple um, presentation, and it's a common salvation that we all have. We all share it. We came the same way and we are delivered with the same thing. We are given different gifts, but with the same purpose, and that is to minister it to each other for our common good. And this is, so when we hear about a common salvation, it is a full word. That is not a, just a quick word he just dumped on the front of it to have an adjective and ahead of, ahead of that noun. It was a very purposeful word. When Jude calls your salvation common, our common salvation, that we all share the same one. So don't let these people come in and, and cloud that. They're, they bring confusion with them And they bring doubt. I don't have this. I don't have that. I didn't get at this. I didn't pray that prayer quite right. (laughs) I don't remember what I, I'm sure I was asked to pray as well when I accepted Christ as a 10 year old at camp. I don't remember what I prayed, and I am so happy. I don't remember. For a long time, I didn't remember when I prayed. I was telling everybody I accepted Christ at 12, and then I found this little booklet in my stuff when I moved once, and it said I was 10. What a relief. Because what if I got it wrong? No, I am following Christ. And I come to him. I'm not doing it on my own. I go to him and follow him. That is what it means to be a Christian. Stop going your way and go to God and follow him. He died for you to make that possible. He made the sacrifice that makes it possible for you to, to turn your life, go to him, and follow him. He's got the gift. He just wants you to open it. Very simple message. Because it's a common thing for all men. So it has to be simple so that the simplest among us can get it. A child could figure that out. I want you to, do you want to follow after Jesus? With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yeah. Well, they might not understand the ramifications of that long term, but we keep confronting them with the very same question over again. Do you want to follow Jesus? And I did that with my children all they're growing up. I thought you wanted to follow Jesus. You're not acting like you are a Christian. You don't act like you are, you're following Jesus. And And the hazard of that, by the way, is... You know what happens sometimes? They come back and say, You're not acting like someone following Jesus, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I want to. I want to go to Him and follow Him. On His terms, His way, because that's His gift to me. To make it possible for me to follow Him. Let's pray. We're gonna run a little Lord God, we do thank you for your love. And we thank you for a simple message. We know that it can be studied for all of our lives and discover the depth and the breadth and the height of it. But, Lord, we thank you that at the very basic levels, it is really simple. You have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. You have made a way for us to get out of the sin and death.